Israeli communities all along that border now, including mm. Kiryat Shmona, have now been ordered to evacuate. Most Israelis are out of those forward areas now, and Israeli tanks and troops are moving in. And this thing could blow, I mean, sky high, much worse than what's going on with Hamas at any moment. What's going on at Israel's northern border? We'll get a firsthand report right from Joel. Hi, and welcome to Inside the Epicenter with Joel Rosenberg, a podcast of the Joshua Fund, a ministry dedicated to blessing Israel and her neighbors in the name of Jesus. I'm Carl Muller, Executive Director of the Joshua Fund, and today we're going to be talking with Joel Rosenberg in Jerusalem. Joel, welcome. Uh, you recently uh, got back from the Lebanon border. I would love to have our listeners get a firsthand report on what you saw there and what's going on along the northern border. Well, great to see you, Carl. Thank you so much. Uh, absolutely. And I, I got to say, let, let's just, I think timestamps are important here. As we talk, uh, as we record this, it's Tuesday, October 24th. Mm-hmm. Normally, I wouldn't say that, but the, the northern border is so volatile. And I don't know how many more days it'll take before this gets uploaded. So I just want to put the context in mm-hmm. because Hezbollah is the uh, terrorist organization funded, armed, trained and directed by Iran. And Hezbollah controls modern day Lebanon. In fact, for all intents and purposes, Carl, as you know, there is no sovereign state of Lebanon anymore. Effectively, Lebanon is a province of the Iranian uh, regime. And while there is a uh, a quasi, I I don't want to call it a public government, there's there's actually a a weak uh, government in Beirut, but it doesn't really have control of the country. And many Lebanese uh, hate Hezbollah and are horrified by by being in a slave state essentially to it. Nevertheless, Hezbollah has begun attacking uh, Israeli military and civilian positions all along the Lebanon-Israeli border for more than a week now, not immediately when uh, Hamas uh, in Gaza launched its horrific, barbaric, savage October 7th invasion, uh, murdering more than 1,300 Israelis just on that day alone. And now we're in a well over 1,400 uh, over the last uh, 18 days or so. But almost immediately, maybe within you know four or five days, Hezbollah started attacking. A little bit here, a little bit there. It seemed like they were probing, didn't want to be left out of mm-hmm. the battle. But now it's becoming much, much more. So I wanted to go up and do some reporting on that Lebanon-Israeli uh, border uh, for all Israel news. I also took a film right. crew with me uh, from TBN uh, for the Rosenberg Report. Yeah, There was well, artillery, mortars all day. We were hearing automatic gunfire. I mean, there was a missile from Hezbollah in Lebanon at Israel's largest city on that northern tier. It's a, it's not that big, but it's a city called Kiryat Shmona, mm-hmm. and that's about 20,000 Israelis. But 63 or 64 Israeli communities all along that border now, including mm-hmm. Kiryat Shmona, have now been ordered to evacuate. Most Israelis are wow. out of those uh, forward areas now, and Israeli tanks and troops are moving in. And this thing could blow, I mean, sky high, much worse than what's going on with Hamas at any moment. Wow. Well, Joel, I mean, we got a chance to, some of us got a chance to watch that video uh, you did uh, from the northern border. And it is, uh, it's chilling to realize uh, another front maybe opened up uh, besides the the front in Gaza. Um, maybe you could help our listeners. What are the differences between Hamas and Hezbollah? I mean, Israel's facing them both right now. Yeah. 
Uh, there's some significant differences. First of all, Hezbollah is vastly uh, larger and much more powerful. So, for example, we now have roughly 7,500 rockets fired from Gaza by Hamas at Israeli civilians, okay, about 7,500. We're approaching twice as many in the last 18, 20 days than for the entire war that when we moved here uh, in August of 2014, Hamas had fired about 4,300. So we're, we're almost double that. Whereas Hezbollah in Lebanon, the estimates are between 150,000 and 200,000 missiles. There's a distinction, wow. right? Missiles are much more powerful, much bigger, much more firepower. And many, but not all, of Hezbollah missiles, all produced in Iran, have precision guidance. So if they want to fire wow. at a hospital, they can fire at a hospital. If they want to fire at a power station or an oil uh, storage facility or an electrical plant or mm. the Knesset or you know the American embassy or wherever, they can do it. Now, Israel does have uh, layered... Um, multi-tiered missile defense systems, the Patriot, and then the Arrow anti-missile system. And there are three levels of that, Arrow 1, Arrow 2, Arrow 3, depending on the, the the arc of that missile. We also have something called David Sling. We now have something called the um, uh, Iron Laser or the Laser Dome, which hasn't been tested in battle yet, but it has been tested as – so the question is, do you have to fire a missile or can you just fire a laser at something? Yeah. And then, of course, there's Iron Dome also more for the uh, shorter-range rockets. So in, in terms of magnitude, uh, it's generally estimated that Hamas has about 20,000 total. So they're they're approaching about 40 45% of their, uh, their known capacity. Okay, And by the way, in, the, in recent days, the number of rocket attacks have actually started to drop. And hmm. the number of failures of uh, Hamas rockets, uh, meaning they, they go up, but they go right down yeah. on top of Palestinians in Gaza, that's been increasing to about one in five Hamas rockets now. But Hezbollah is much more powerful. That's the, so that's the first thing, the size, the magnitude. But the second thing, and this is important for our inside the epicenter listeners and viewers to understand, Hamas is actually a Sunni radical Islamist terror organization. Okay. It's specifically an offshoot or a subsidiary of the original Sunni Islamist radical terror organization out of Egypt that started in the early 1920s, uh, known as the Muslim Brotherhood, sure. which is illegal, an organization that's a terrorist organization that's illegal in Egypt, in Jordan, in Saudi Arabia, in Bahrain, in the United Arab Emirates, and throughout the region. So, But Hezbollah is not Sunni. It's Shia mm. uh, Islamist. And it's, I wouldn't call it radical Islamist. I would call it apocalyptic Islamist. What do I mean by that? I mean it's run by a man named Hassan, Sheikh Hassan Nasrallah, who has the same uh, apocalyptic end times genocidal theology and eschatology as Iran's Grand Ayatollah, the Supreme Leader Ali Khamenei. So both organizations are genocidal, no question. They want to eradicate every Jew, every Christian, uh, and every Muslim that doesn't agree with them in what yeah. they call, you know, occupied. Palestine, and we would know as biblical Israel. But Hezbollah is it's driven by a, an apocalyptic eschatology that really mm-hmm. drives their belief that this is this is the end of days, and uh, if they wipe out all the Jews and Christians here, uh, they will help usher in the literal judgment day and the arrival of the, of the Mahdi or the 12th Imam. This is known as their Islamic Messiah, and Jesus is supposed to come with 
the Mahdi at the end of days, and Jesus is the deputy. He's not the king of kings. He's not the lord of lords. He's the deputy that forces everybody in the world to submit to this brand of genocidal apocalyptic Islamism, or Jesus kills us all. So it's important to understand yeah. this is this is a pathology. It's a you know it's a yeah. it's a sick, and there's no way to deter them. And this is what terrifies Israelis right now, especially on that northern tier. Yeah, well, I, I got to tell you, it's uh, it's chilling to think about the the different types of threats. I mean, we've been we've been told and and uh, that the Gazans are motivated by hatred of Israel from a political and uh, geographical standpoint. Hamas. But what you're talking? Gaza, Gaza yeah, that's Hamas. Hamas. Yeah, just to be clear, right? Yeah. But you're talking about Hezbollah is actually motivated by a theological viewpoint, uh, an eschatological viewpoint that that well, they, says they both uh, are theological. Yeah. It, it's both theological and, and to a degree, it's both eschatological. Hamas does believe we're in the end of days, but there are some nuances between the two groups that are different. I would say Hezbollah is actually crazier and vastly more dangerous, which mm. when you look at the butchery, the savagery of Hamas, you think, well, how is that even possible? Well, it's possible. And that's why mm-hmm. all the people that I was interviewing along that Israeli northern border, including two former lieutenant colonels in the Israeli Defense Forces and Intelligence uh, and numerous other experts on Hezbollah said, look, we're terrified because right now uh, Israel is evacuating these these northern communities. Okay, well, that's good. Israel is mobilizing uh, enormous number of uh, IDF tanks and troops to be stationed along that border, defending it in case Hezbollah decides to do what Hamas did, which is invade. And you've got two U.S. Navy nuclear-powered aircraft carrier strike groups that President Biden has uh, ordered to be in the eastern uh, Mediterranean as a warning to Iran and Hezbollah, you know, don't mess with us, don't escalate the situation. So right now, you know, Israelis in the north think, okay, good, our government's here to defend us. But they're actually worried that, and they were telling me, an article I I wrote today for uh, All Israel News, and actually I was on Fox News Live from Jerusalem this morning, to share what they had told me. And that's this, Carl. The Israelis in the northern tier are saying, Israel's government has to go to war with Hezbollah and wipe them out. In fact, they want the war to start against Hezbollah, and they say simultaneously Israel should be striking and attacking and destroying all of Iran's nuclear facilities that that we've been warning about for many, many years because Iran is at 84% of enrichment of this uranium. Now, you only have to get between 90 and 93% uh, enrichment to be nuclear bomb-grade quality. So they're right there. So what Israelis are worried about is not about the war and how – and that their region will be a lake of fire, they said. That we mm-hmm. get that. And we know it will be apocalyptic, a firestorm. But we're terrified if our government doesn't do it. Meaning meaning strike. It, it, you can't say strike first because Hezbollah is attacking. There's all the justification in the world to yeah. go to war with Hezbollah right now. But, but what they mean is everybody is talking, even the U.S. senators coming to show solidarity, which is good. But they're saying if Iran does something or if Hezbollah does something, then Israel and the United States will have no choice but to attack. But they're saying if you don't attack now, then the situation will de-escalate. Maybe we get rid of Hamas mm-hmm. in Gaza. And then what? Then all the troops go home. All the tanks go home. The aircraft carrier strike groups go home. And they told me no one will live up there. 
because they know that they will be massacred once the invasion begins. So if you're not going to do it now, no matter how bad it's going to be, it's better to get it done when the country's ready to get it done than to not do it at all. And they're actually scared right now that maybe maybe the West is giving a nice bear hug to Israel, but they're handcuffing Israeli leaders saying, do not go wider. Well, I mean, so Joel, what do you, we're, we're going to talk about the biblical uh, prophetic implications after we take a yeah. break here. But before yeah, we break, can you just talk about what are some of the options that Israel has during this time? I mean, this is, this is really incredibly um, challenging with two different fronts and two different threats entirely uh, against each other. Yeah. And, and really, Carl, what I'm hearing from a lot of people is it's actually three fronts that you, that if you, even if Israel goes to war against Hamas and wins, which we will, mm-hmm. if it ignores Hezbollah in Lebanon, then the next attack will be far worse, far worse, and will be on the defense rather than the offense. But they said, if even if you go to war with Hezbollah and Hamas and you leave the Iranian nuclear and missile program and leadership intact, what have you gained? The, all of this money and all of the direction and all of the weapons is all coming from the terror masters in Tehran. But this is why King Abdullah II of Jordan is saying the region is teetering on the edge of the abyss. And Mm. I can't say that he's wrong. And I think there are prophetical implications we'll talk about in a moment. But I'm just saying what I'm talking about with you and our viewers and listeners right now is is several steps ahead of the information curve that most Christians, most Americans, most people are on. That the Israeli people say there's a covenant between the people of Israel and our civilian and military leaders. And the covenant is this, Carl. Mm -hmm. They said, we give you our sons and daughters to serve in the army, and we give you our tax dollars, which are taxes here are very high. I can tell you from personal experience. And your job is to keep us safe. Keep us safe. And one former lieutenant colonel reserves now said that covenant is broken, and, and when this is all over, We'll deal with the political and military leaders. There'll be an investigation and they'll all be removed. Anyone that was involved in this. But he said, we're focused on winning. But if we don't win, if we don't fight all three fronts and win, even if no one in the world will help us, then that covenant Mm. is broken forever. That was some of the, I mean, honestly, yesterday when I was up on that border and talking to four different experts all along that border, it was the most sobering day I've had since the attack began. And I have to say, I've been not knowing how to pray. I'm not advocating this. I, I want to be clear. I'm saying, even me as an Israeli, knowing that my family and my friends could become under the worst attack in the history of Israel of all time. That's what we're talking about. Of all time. Biblical times and Israel time. If we don't do it, then it could go nuclear. As one woman who's a former lieutenant colonel herself in the IDF intelligence she said to me, I don't know how to pray. I pray for peace and I pray for victory, but should we take that punch, the two punches, or do we let ourselves wait? She says, I feel like we're going to be slaughtered if we don't, but we're going to be devastated if we do. That's right, Joel. We have so much to pray for and and we need to take a break right now, but we're going to come back and we're going to talk about the the prophetic implications and, and, and what we can do. Uh, legitimately and and earnestly in this really uh, incredible crisis. Hi. 
Hi, everyone. If you've been injured in an accident that was not your fault, listen up. We have legal professionals standing by to answer your questions for free. Call now and find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Call 800-497-4410. I'm here with spokesman John Wolfe. So, John, tell everyone listening who should call right now. Well, Maria, first off, thank you for having me here. It's always nice to answer the listeners' questions. Now, as far as who should call in, anyone who's been injured in an accident and think you deserve compensation, give us a call right now. 800-497-4410. You'll find out if you have a case and how much it's potentially worth. Thanks, John. You heard it, folks. Take advantage of this opportunity and call now. 800-497-4410. Advertisement sponsored by Legal Help Center may not be available in all states. Our verse of the day today is found in Isaiah chapter 60, verses 13 to 14. The glory of Lebanon will come to you, the juniper, the fir, and the cypress together to adorn my sanctuary, and I will glorify the place for my feet. The children of your oppressors will come bowing before you. All who despise you will bow down at your feet and will call you the city of the Lord, Zion of the Holy One of Israel. Our prayer requests today are number one, to pray that God will bring peace to Israel on the northern border and pray that the people of Lebanon will be liberated from their political and religious oppression. Well, Joel, we're back, and um, you know this is this has just been this has been heavy stuff. And uh, yeah. how how are you doing right now? How are how are you handling and holding up? I see you on news. I see you on all Israel news. I see you on uh, TBN and Fox News and and CNN. I mean, it's just uh, it's it's been a whirlwind. How are you doing? And how's your family doing? Well, I guess I would say we're holding up. I mean, God is being merciful. There's no question. We're going through grief, but we don't have time to just be grieving, right? We we have more than fourteen hundred Israelis dead, uh, somewhere on the order of five thousand wounded, some of them very severely wounded. You have probably tens of thousands, if not hundreds of thousands, psychologically wounded. Beyond, I mean, maybe maybe millions at this point. I mean, um, and we're talking about Israel's darkest hour. We're talking about the worst slaughter of Jews ever since the Holocaust. So the grief is just heavy and, it, and it's exhausting. And, and But you have to keep strengthening yourself in the Lord. This is what, uh, you know, I think we've talked about this on, well, I forget, I've talked about it with many, I forget if we talked about it on this program, but uh, 1 Samuel 30, <laughs> might be worth doing a whole program on this, where David and the mighty men are living in a place called Ziklag. Ziklag is, the, uh, mm-hmm. is, a, is a city that's right on the border between Israel and Gaza, okay? And, David and the mighty men go off to fight one of Israel's enemies and the Amalekites, one of the historic, you know, hated evil peoples that kept attacking Israel. They come and attack David's city of Ziklag. They burn it to the ground and they take everybody hostage. And when David and the mighty men come back and they see what's happened, all their, all their families have been taken hostage and taken off. They don't know where. um, And the city is a smoldering, blazing wreckage. They, it says they wept so hard that they ultimately couldn't weep anymore. They didn't have the strength to weep mm. anymore. And then the text says that uh, David strengthened himself in the Lord. Like he, he just went to the word and he went to prayer and worship because he knew I have to be ready to mobilize this army to fight. We cannot just give up. But he asked the Lord twice, Lord, should I pursue them? Like he didn't just run off and just, you know, sort of half cocked, full of rage and and, and grief just to bring vengeance. He said, Lord, should I do this? 
or is it just a lost cause? Like when he prayed for his own child, right? When he had that adulterous affair, horribly, uh, with Bathsheba, and then the baby is born, but is so ill, and he's praying and praying and praying, but the baby dies, and then he gets up and sort of cleans himself up and goes on, and everybody's like, well, what are you doing? You, you you wouldn't even eat when the baby was ill, but now the baby's dead? You, you're okay? He says, well, there was a chance then, but now there's not a chance, so I have to just move on, essentially. I'm paraphrasing, of course. But anyway, so this was one of those moments. So the reason I see it is because I've been just sort of camped out in this this passage for the last 10 days. I mean, I'm not, that's not the only thing I'm reading, but I'm just going back to it, trying to understand it. Anyway, mm-hmm. I'm, I'm saying that because we're trying to strengthen ourselves in the Lord. We're trying to stay focused on the unique, specific task. Obviously, Lynn and, and the rest of our family and the whole Joshua Fund Israeli team is doing humanitarian relief basically around the clock. One of my sons, uh, Jacob, just flew in today to help with that, as well as help with all Israel news. And just, you know, he's still studying uh, in college in the United States as a junior, but he, he just said, I can't let this go on without coming to help. So he, he, we just picked him up a few hours ago. Wow. And you're right. I'm doing, uh, you know, the New York Times, Fox News, Newsmax, TBN, CBN, everything. Um, and I, but it's, you know, it, it, you're dealing with grief and anger. Yeah. You're trying to manage anger so it's not unholy. But and you're just trying to get not get through the day. That's not a but. But do the next thing that you yeah. have to do that, that the Lord has called yeah. you to. I feel a great sense of purpose. We all do. But uh, it's 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 pushing us well beyond our our, our natural human limits. So. Well. Well, you know, Joel, we're we're all praying for you and with you, uh, and for all of our uh, friends and and people we we see on the television. You know, just to to keep Israel in prayer is one of our our major focuses. But for you and well, your we family, feel the prayers of, of you and the whole Joshua board, the whole Joshua team, and the Joshua Fund family, uh, the prayer warriors, uh, the givers worldwide. We, we, you know, that is honestly that's what's up uh, holding up our hands right now. But I think naturally we. We couldn't do this. It's the darkness here. It's dark. Yeah. I mean, yeah. evil, Satan has been unleashed in yeah. a way that God has not let him be unleashed on us since the Holocaust. So that is a stunning thing to be in a place in this moment of history uh, and uh, hard enough to watch it if you love Israel from a distance. But, but to go through it is uh, particularly hard. But uh, but we're so grateful for everybody that, that's uh, praying. And, and, and we're saying, all right, how do I help? Can I write a check? Can I, can I send funds? And fortunately the, the, the people are doing that. And I wanted to say thank you to all of our viewers and listeners. You are being so generous. And I, and I, you know, we just want to put a light touch on this because the, the needs are almost daily vastly outpacing the money yeah. that's coming in, you know, the burn rate on the relief needs just for right now, much less even trying to recover and much less for the, the war that seems to be coming in the North, but for a miracle of God. So I don't want people to think, all right, well, at least they have what they need. Well, the Lord will be the judge of that, right? But right now we'd say we're super grateful, but please don't stop because the needs are just multiplying beyond anything we've been through in the Joshua. And we've been doing this 17 years, lots of wars. Nothing yeah, like this. Nothing like this. And and you've said it so many times, you know, we can we can actually, you know, anticipate uh, much greater needs coming uh, in the weeks and months ahead because of because of the the, the trauma and the, the reality and, and the potential devastation of, of two fronted wars in a very small territory like Israel. Um, but, Joel, let's step back for a moment from the political. And, and I so appreciate you sharing about your family and, and, and just giving us that insight. Thank you for asking, it yeah. means a lot to us. It means a lot to us. But let's look at the biblical prophetic 
implications here. I mean, a lot of people are talking about end times. Uh, a lot of people out there, you know, are saying things that, that they haven't studied very well, but you've studied this. You've, you actually, you've written books and you've written uh, a lot on what potentially could be happening. And, and again, just to be clear, most of our listeners long time will know that we don't, we don't get into the charts and graphs and, you know, and all of the, you know, the tables of this and the, that. What we do say and what you say often and very, very well is, look, here are some indicators. Here's some vectors. And as you've said, the, the chess pieces are on the chessboard. They're moving. We're moving. We're seeing the move significantly now. But maybe what can you tell our listeners about maybe some of the implications for end time prophecies here about Iran, Hezbollah, everything we've talked about so far? Right. Sure. Uh, and I think I think our next podcast needs to be entirely about this. But I'll give the sort yeah. of a brief version because it's hard to listen to all we just talked about and not say, all right, how do we put that in a biblical context? Let me just say one thing. Um, uh, I'm not opposed to the graphs and the charts and the, all the details of the bowls and the trumpets. The reason I don't focus on it primarily is because that's for a period of time of biblical eschatology of that's, that we're not in. And that's what's called the tribulation. And that's, that's a seven year window where all that we're going through now is like a thousand times worse. Yeah. But that's something that happens after um, what the biblical uh, description by Paul and by Jesus uh, is that the church being snatched away, what we come to know the term as the rapture, when we're just snatched away and God says, okay, I'm removing true born again followers of Jesus, not just people who say they're Christian and not just people who go to church, but people that God sovereignly knows they are truly born again. I'm going to just snatch them away in the, in the blink of an eye that the, the church capital C will just be gone. And then I'm going to start dealing with the rest of the world with people can come to faith in Jesus after that, but there's, but many of them will be martyred as the Antichrist emerges. So right. there is that period that that not only does the book of Revelation go into great detail on, but Old Testament books like Daniel, Isaiah, Jeremiah, Ezekiel, and others, Zechariah, among <laughs> others, gives a lot of detail. This is not just a New Testament concept. But there are a lot of prophecies uh, that tell us things that are coming before all that. And so here's very quickly. So I would say there's, there's two big possible scenarios that I'm processing, Carl, and I'm just telling mm -hmm. you in real time kind of where I am. Uh, I would say for the first 16 of the last 18 days, I would say that I've been focusing primarily on when Israel wins, that yes, we're going to have to go fight in Gaza. We don't want to, but we didn't start this war, but we cannot let the butchers who have savaged our people, we can't leave, leave, leave them in power. Hamas has to go. And then we've been talking about, you know, yeah, the Iranian regime and the Iranian nuclear and missile program, that's got to go. And so does the Hezbollah terror threat, 150,000 to 200,000 missiles pointed at our heads. Mm. So all that has to go, and that's a horrific war, the biggest maybe ever in the Middle East. But scenario one is we go through that. It's horrible, but Israel wins decisively. And as the smoke clears off the battlefields, suddenly Israel's the strongest power in the region. Hmm. suddenly all of our immediate threats and enemies have been vanquished hmm. or at least so humble that they can't throw any more punches right now. And that out of that wreckage, everybody in the region wants to make peace with the most powerful nation in the region, Israel. And the nations come to help us and, and uh, help us rebuild. And there's an enormous amount of favor. And that sets the stage. That's the, the period in early or late Ezekiel 37, early Ezekiel 38, before the war of Gog and Magog, where it says Israel's living securely in the land. 
and with enormous prosperity and everyone's taking a big sigh of relief and going, okay, so things are good now for the foreseeable future. That's a real possibility. And I think I've been focused primarily on that scenario until the last 24 hours. And I'm not saying I'm changing. I'm just saying I'm paying more attention right now to scenario two. Hmm. And the scenario two is that we are in the early stages of Gog and Magog. Hmm. I'm not saying that we are. What I'm mm-hmm. Because there are things that are happening right now that aren't in the text. So that's why I highly caution anybody on television, anybody on radio, anybody on the internet, anybody that builds their websites at Area 51 in Roswell, New Mexico, <laughs> and they're like, wow, this is it. But there's not nearly enough data, Carl, to tell mm-hmm. us that we're heading into Ezekiel 38 and 39. Mm-hmm. But what if we were? What would that mean? It would mean that the period we've just gone through in, re- in the last, let's say, five, six years, has been that the precursor that in God's sovereign view, yeah. Israel has been living securely. So securely that that's the only way you could possibly imagine an Israeli government not having combat forces on the Gaza border. Yeah, yeah there's a, a small little fence, but it was easily blown up. But Israel's own government thought, we're, you know, yeah, there's an enemy over there, but it's really not a problem. And we're making all these peace treaties. The Abraham Accords are expanding all the things we've talked about. Since we started Mm -hmm. inside the epicenter, like it's all Saudi's going to make peace and all these. It's been so encouraging that the financial investing in the region and all of it. Yeah. What if God says that that's the period that I was talking about as the precursor and check, 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 check. All those things are done. And now I'm setting into motion or I'm letting Satan set into motion. Yeah. The beginnings of Ezekiel 38 through 9. What would that mean? Well, that would mean Israel's fighting now. But what if, Carl? So let's take a few more moments. What if Israel becomes paralyzed and doesn't attack Iran, doesn't mm-hmm. attack Hezbollah, that that threat is looming, but Israelis are getting Israeli, – the Israeli government is either paralyzed with indecision or fear or is getting a bear hug publicly from the American government, from uh, – I'm t- you know today as I'm talking, mm-hmm. uh, the French president is here, uh, the British prime minister was here, the German chancellor was here, um, the Dutch – uh, Prime Minister was here. Like we've never seen world leaders come to Israel during a war. It's never happened yeah. in modern history. So we're seeing that. But what if they're publicly praising us and standing with us, but privately telling Netanyahu and the others, "Do not expand this thing." I mean, we will yeah. cut you off. And this is creating indecision and fear inside the Israeli government. What if that were the case? Now, you know, what if Iran persuades Russia? Listen, this is it. You're our ally, but you're always so pro-Israel up there, Mr. Putin. Come down and help us. Show show Israel who's boss. Don't let them do this to the Palestinians, right? And then you'd say, well, Putin's locked in a – he's losing in in Ukraine. He's being humiliated. Why would he send forces, military forces, to come help Iran in Lebanon and Syria? Well, the Bible says, remember, that God put hooks in the jaws of of, – of Gog, yes. the, 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 the euphemistic name for the Russian dictator, yeah. and forces him, pulls him out of Russia with his military. Why? Because he's so guilty of sin that God's going to show the supernatural judgment, but he pulls him into a war that he that Gog doesn't really want to be in in order to show that the end has come for Gog and Magog. So, like, again, those things have not happened yet, but the paralyzation or the apparent paralyzation of Israel is is on people's lips here. They're not yeah. sure if Israel's really getting ready to do the right things. Right. They're hopeful, or if if 
the government just doesn't know what to do. Wow. So I'm not saying I can tell you which one I, – I don't know which scenario we're in, but it's important people not decide and start yeah. teaching it. Just say this is what the text says. This is what Ezekiel 38 and 39 mean. And right now, this is unprecedented at the moment we're in, so it feels prophetic. But we've got to look carefully and and wait before we make any conclusions because otherwise we're just going to bring discredit on the Lord, uh, if we're wrong, I mean, he'll still be sovereign, but we'll look like idiots. Yeah. <laughs> well, and that's, uh, of course, you know, how we keep this in balance. But, you know, it is chilling to think uh, about how much of this in Scripture, uh, because we know Scripture is true. We know Scripture uh, has been true, will be true, is true, and will be true. So it's uh, it's chilling to think how much is actually yet to come, uh, and yet uh, so happy to know that you're reading through, praying through, and really understanding uh, what's what's out there. And I know I speak for a lot of our listeners who, who tell us, you know, this is the most important thing that we do on this podcast is to take the the current geopolitical events and to connect the dots to the, the biblical, uh, prophetic, historical, and reality uh, check all of those things together. Um, I'm so I'm so grateful to, to have this conversation with you, Joel. We will get we'll, we're gonna we're gonna talk about that uh, that whole topic about uh, what is what is this Gaza war and then Hamas and Hezbollah. How does that figure into biblical prophecy? And uh, we're gonna look at that in a future podcast. Uh, but uh, again, I want to thank you and Lynn so much for your steadfast work on behalf of uh, of people in Israel and for telling the right story. Um, it's really important uh, that you get that word out and we get to know exactly what God is doing uh, in the episode. Well, Carl, thank you. I appreciate it. And I, I, I want to say uh, to these very loyal and, and uh, gracious listeners and viewers, Carl and I will always be honest with you. Okay. If we know something, we're going to tell you. If we don't know something, we will tell you. And I think I want you to consider that part of our trust in you, that you're, you're, you're smart um, people who, who, either know the Lord or want to, um, and want serious analysis of what's really happening and what it could mean biblically, but you don't want to be spun and you don't want to be, you know, uh, have your thoughts hijacked by somebody who just decides to lead you someday and say, I know. And there's a temptation by many, too many, not all by any means, uh, not maybe not even most, but by too many people who teach and study prophecy to, to think they're supposed to know. But I want to model for all of our viewers and listeners what you and I truly believe, that the word is true, and that's our highest standard. It goes back to the first podcast we ever did, What's an Evangelical? Yeah. The word of God, the Bible is our highest standard. It's our highest authority. And if we don't know something, then we're in danger of being a false teacher if we try to tell you, oh, this is what it is. And, and we're not going to do that here. Uh, it, you know, I, I guess we could get a lot of clickbaity, you know, I don't know uh, if we were interested in traffic as our main thing or, or even donations. We could tell you something that isn't true. We're not going to do that. So instead, we're going to tell you what is known. But here's the main thing. And I just tie it up with this. Because we don't know whether we're in Gog and Nagog territory, we go back to what we do know. And what we do know is mm -hmm. people are suffering. The church is here. We haven't been raptured. The Joshua Fund has a network of some almost two dozen major key ministry allies on the ground who are doing humanitarian relief, caring for people spiritually, physically, financially, and every emotionally, in every possible way, psychologically. Mm -hmm. And we're going to keep doing what we can do right now to be the light of the world here in a very dark place, 
to care for people's needs and to not worry right now what, you know, are we in the end of the end? Look, it's for most people, for a lot of people, it is the end. I mean, you know, they, they've died or their, or their families yeah. are at risk of dying and they need to know, how, how do I know where I go when I die? How do I find peace in this troubled world? Those are questions we can answer biblically right now. And mm-hmm. how do I put food on my table and water when I'm, I literally don't have a job. I don't have an apartment. I've been moved. My house has been destroyed. My family's been killed. Now what do I do? Those answers we have. Uh, that's what Jesus directs us to do, to live in the, in the moment. And in, in many ways, I'll just close with this, Carl. Uh, people are asking me from every direction, and I, I appreciate all the prophetic questions. We're going to keep answering. Uh, I was at, at, at church on Saturday. We have church, of course, on Sabbath here. And uh, I, don't know, I don't know, six, eight, ten, I can't, I lost track of how many people came up and asked this question, these set of questions. But I said, listen, I've never embraced more Jesus' words, don't worry about tomorrow. Yeah. Today has, has enough trouble of its own. It's not that the mm-hmm. questions aren't important. They are. But let's stay focused on literally what's happening right now and doing what we know biblically we're supposed to do at any time, whether it's the end of the end or not. Wow. Well, that that is really good advice. And that's a great place to leave this uh, wonderfully interesting podcast. And we're going to come back to this subject again, as you know. So, uh, Joel, thanks again for sharing with us uh, your insights and your your perspective. It's such a blessing. Thank you, Carl. Well, if you'd like to learn more about the Joshua Fund, you can visit our website at joshuafund.com and you can get more there about what God is doing through us in this Middle East region to bless Israel and the neighbors like Lebanon in the name of Jesus and how you can participate in the healing work God is doing in this critical region. And as always, you can check out our show notes for anything you heard on this podcast that you'd like more information on. For Joel Rosenberg, I'm Carl Muller. Thanks for listening to Inside the Epicenter. Everyone wants to change the world. Capital Ministries is doing just that, one heart at a time by creating disciples of Jesus Christ among political leaders in the U.S. and foreign nations. For more than 25 years, founder Ralph Drawlinger has written Bible studies specifically for public servants. Study along with us and learn what the Bible says about capitalism, communism, abortion, same-sex marriage, and other contemporary issues. Subscribe and follow us at lifeaudio.com or search Capital Ministries on your favorite podcast platform.